you turn in your Bibles to First Thessalonians, uh, we're turning our attention again to chapter 4 and really verses 5 through 10 this morning as we continue this message of sanctified life. And this also is a second part, it's a second thought, and this morning's message will also, as last week's was, be PG-13. So again, I would respectfully request that if you have children in here uh, this morning that they would leave uh, the sanctuary and go to their prospective classes unless you're okay with them uh, hearing a message that is going to include a message on human sexuality and with some detail this morning. I will keep it PG-13, but it is essential that we as the church be able to speak to these areas of life that we struggle with, that our culture struggles with, that humankind struggles with. And, And so as I share this message, this is the second part, we now turn our attention rather than the actions, but to what we think. And how those thoughts then will produce actions in our lives. And I want to be straightforward with you. It is time that we recognize in the church we have a responsibility to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And no place do we see a struggle greater than in this particular area. We are struggling with sexual sin, and that sexual sin begins in the mind. And so as this message continues, it flows forth from verse 4. It says, possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. We as the children of God have been created in God's image. We have been given an identity sexually, and that identity is to be handled in a way that glorifies God. And if we choose to do it any other way, then we will never have God's best in our lives. And if we carry ourselves out to a a conclusion that is sinful, we may well destroy our lives. And so the Lord gives us warning here. And I want to be gracious, I want to be kind, but I want to tell you the truth. And so I pray you'll bear with me as we turn our attention now to verse 5. Would you pray with me as we ask the Lord's blessing on his word? Father, we come. This is a tough subject. It is hard for us to talk about these things uh, together as family, but we need to. And so, Lord, would you bless us with your presence by your spirit here? Would you be the discerner of the intents of our hearts? Would you give us ears to listen? And to hear what the Spirit would speak through your word. It is powerful, it is sharp, and it will divide uh, from truth and error. And between joint and marrow and soul and spirit. And so we commit this time to you and pray that you would use it for your plans and for your purposes in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 5. So flowing forth from the thought that you are to handle your sexual identity, your sexual self, you were created as a sexual being, you've been made that way by God, there's nothing wrong with it, but God has defined how that should work. Here's what he says. That in that thought, not in the passion of lust. If you're going to be a real believer, if you're going to present yourself to the world as a Christian, then you cannot should not, must not act like people who don't know Jesus. 
Now notice what it says. Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, we as Christians should not be passionate and driven by thinking that is overtly sexual, that is not in line with God's Word. Now, as you can see, that is a difficult thing in our society. Amen? Because virtually everything in our media, virtually everything on TV, as I've shared with you before, you can't watch a payday candy bar commercial without there being a reference to sexuality. And so we are in a hyper-sexually driven society, very similar to where Paul writes this letter from the city of Corinth, and he writes to Thessalonica in the north. And so in our world, we need to be careful, because when you're passionate about something, you think on it all the time, amen? When I'm going to go trout fishing, I become really passionate about trout fishing. I pull out my tackle box, I look at my tackle, I look at my rod, I restring my rod, I do all kinds of things. I think about it nearly incessantly. I am passionate about the trout in the stream. And so I think about the stream, I think about the rocks, I think about the walks, I think about catching them, I think about frying them and eating them. So the passion of lust is the same thought process except about something that we should not be thinking about, save our spouses. So if I am passionate about lust, guess what happens? I think on it constantly. It occupies my mind. My mind is possessed with thoughts that should not be there because it defines those thoughts as those who do not know the Lord. So this is an issue of our thought life. It's what we think about. It's how our minds are driven to think. And so it is an important place. It is touched virtually daily by the filth of this world. And while I need to be straightforward with you, I do not mean to be provocative, nor do I mean to put anybody under bondage. Because Jesus Christ is able to deliver us from all sin. Amen? So you're not hopeless, you're not helpless, and you don't need to stay in that thought process. But we need to identify the problem if we're going to fix the problem. This continues. And I want you to read the severity. Your homework... 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6, and 7. Because it illuminates this process even further. So if you want to really dig in, read those three chapters. And so it goes this way. Not like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. What matter? Human sexuality and the thoughts about someone about whom you are thinking sexually to whom you have it outside of the context of God's design for marriage. So you can see how important this is. Because in our culture we are forced to deal with the thoughts of sexuality apart from married life nearly constantly. One need only drive down the street To find a sign, a billboard, some type of advertisement that is overtly sexual. And yet God's word says, look, you're to possess your own vessel in sanctification and in honor. And you are not to have the passion of lust that is like those who do not know the Lord. 
In other words, the Christian mind should be on Christian things. Don't defraud your brother. You see, here's the thought there. That person about whom you're thinking sexually is someone else's spouse, is someone else's husband, is someone else's wife, is someone else that is, as a Christian, your brother, your sister. It's unthinkable. You're not to steal that from your brother or your sister. Serious stuff follows. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we have also forewarned and testified, hence my encouragement to you read 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. Paul forewarned the church of this area of life. And he says, in marriage, human sexuality is a blessing. It is a privilege. It's wonderful. It is a beautiful thing. But outside of God's design for it, it's destructive. Now maybe you're sitting here thinking this morning, wow, this is rough. Look, there are rough subjects that God's Word touches on. This is one of them. And so I would rather have you angry with me because I dared to teach the Word with authority than lie to you and then suffer the wrath of God myself for not telling you the truth. So today, you get the truth. You'll always get the truth, by the way. But on this subject, no candy coating, no sugar coating, I'm going to tell you like it is. Okay? Notice what it says. The Lord's the avenger of all such. As we also have forewarned you, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. And therefore, he who rejects this, what is the this? It's God's teaching on human sexuality. It's his design for marriage. It's what you think with your mind that leads you to believe something in your heart and then do something with your hands. God has taught us what we are to do with these thoughts. Your hormones are to be governed by God. The, the, The cry of the feminist movement today is, this is my body, I can do whatever I want with it. It is not your body. Your body belongs to the Lord. It was paid for by the blood of Christ. Amen? It applies to men too, gentlemen. You are not given your sexuality for you to do with as you please. It is His body, the Lord's, and beyond that it belongs to your wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So when we think on these things, we must think on them from God's perspective. You reject it, you're rejecting God who gave us the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit convicts you that what you're thinking is wrong, that's God going... Hello? This is me. You're thinking the wrong thing, you're contemplating the wrong thing, and you're about to do the wrong thing. So change what you're thinking. Change what you're focusing on. Change the way you are addressing this in your mind. But concerning brotherly love, I have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves were taught by God to love one another. You see, the effect of this is you have the right view of love. Our world does not have the right view of love. Amen? Amen? They don't. They think love is a feeling. 
Love is way more than a feeling, amen? Because if your love that you have for your spouse is governed by feelings, you're going to fall out of love about every other hour. Because you're going to have feelings one way, and you're going to have feelings the other, and you're going to feel good, and you're going to feel bad. And if it's about feelings, your feelings are deceptive. Now, praise the Lord, oftentimes our feelings and God's reality of love come into alignment, and you feel exactly as you should. But there are times when you don't feel the way you should. And there are certainly times that you don't think the way you should, because you've entertained the feelings. And now the feelings drive you a different way. You've been taught that by God. Real love is self-sacrificing love. It is agape. It's love that takes this person and says, I will make you preeminent and I will be the lesser. Not I want to steal from you what you have that I want. That's the world's love. And that is why people fall out of love. I can't get from you what I want and so you must not love me and therefore I do not love you. Part of the problem that we have in our nation right now, that's the world's view of marriage. That's the world's view of sexuality. That's the world's view of love. And we shouldn't have that as the church. We have to have God's view of all of those things. And indeed you do so towards the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. He says, you even know how to think rightly about your brothers. You know what it is. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase the more and more. And he's saying, look, you should be increasing the right kind of love. And so let's break this down. You see, passion is the passive side of our sinful capacity in this context. In other words, whatever you're passionate about, that's the passive side. In other words, it's just at that point in time locked up in thinking. But lust is the part that bridges between what you think and what you do. When it goes from passion to lust, it's translated between the things that you have thought about. You see, you can't keep yourself from seeing that billboard. You can't keep yourself from seeing that person on the street. You can't keep yourself from hearing what you've heard, but you can determine what it is that you do with what you have heard or seen. And so when that passion turns into lust, it is now translated into really thinking about it that you might do it. And there becomes the problem that we have as human beings. You see, if that goes unchecked, passion, lust will turn into action. And that is where our guard needs to be set. We are at war, in essence, with lust. What are the effects of it? Now, I'm not going to quote a ton of statistics for you. I have put up here, remind you that these are available on our website. You can simply go check these things out for yourself. But I do want to give you some statistics because nowhere is the power of lust more visible than in what is going on in our nation right now with regard to pornography. Because its sole purpose is to drive passionate lust. That is its sole purpose. And so that in and of itself should be sufficient for us to say no Christian should be engaged in viewing pornography. But unfortunately, that is not the case. And if you talk to the pastoral staff here, you will find that we deal on a very regular basis with people whose lives have been ruined 
by passionate lust, driven principally by viewing pornography. It is a $13 billion industry currently here in the United States of America. Now to put that into perspective for you, if you think about it, it goes like this. It's about $3,000 a second. It would place pornography... How many of you drank bottled water this last week? Raise your hands. Not a test. Pretty much most of us. I had all kinds of it when I was in El Salvador. We drink bottled water all the time. We talk about we don't want to fill our landfills with all those bottles, right? You know why? Because there are billions of them. Pornography is a larger industry than bottled water. It's larger than eBay. Now here's going to be the shocker to you. Almost 48% of all pornography is free. It never registers on that particular statistic. So in essence, you can double that number and double that value because people can go on their smartphone, do a simple search of a word, and come up with filth until it pours out of their ears. It's dangerous. So much so that the federal government is actually contemplating getting back into the business, which, by the way, I happen to agree with, of saying, you know what, the First Amendment really doesn't protect that because that's destroying our kids. It's destroying families. It's ruining marriages. It's ruining lives. So much so that there are a number of studies that you can view right now that say that pornography is every bit as addictive as cocaine and heroin. That's the passion of lust run amok. Family, it's a serious thing. And if you don't think so, this list is a partial list. Child pornography. Almost 70% of those who engaged in child sexual abuse viewed child pornography. What you do with your mind will change what you feel in your heart and what you do with your hands. And so make no mistake about it. If you fill your mind with things that should not be there, and whether that comes from a television program or a magazine article, or you simply are sitting around talking with people about things that stimulate the passion of lust, you are setting yourself up for destruction. Don't do it. I'm standing before you as your pastor warning you in Jesus' name because I love you. Do not do it. It's going to destroy you. It will ruin your life. One thing that I'm always told, people talk about this, well, you know, if we just made it completely legal, no one would even, it's not true. Canada tried that. And the percentage points of people who engaged in it actually went up some 20% per category to where now they have children under the age of 16 90% have viewed pornography. Do you know what that does to a teenage mind? Being a camp director, I can tell you, the teenage mind is, it's messed up already. It does not need help. The passion of lust can destroy, and it does. 
And so the question is asked this way. Really, who are we acting like there in verse 5? Are we acting like people who know God? Or are we acting like unbelievers? Are we thinking thoughts that are pleasing to God? Or are we thinking thoughts that are like unbelievers? Are we then entertaining action that God would undertake? Or are we taking action that makes us look like unbelievers? And you see, when the world looks at you and they know that you were a Christian and you say that you watched that movie or you read that book or you say something that leads them to believe that you're not satisfied in your marriage with your spouse and you're kind of maybe looking around, they think ill of our God. Well, what kind of power does your God have? Obviously, he's not powerful enough to keep you from even thinking the wrong thing. And the fact of the matter is, he is. But you have to want that. We have to want that. And so we have to see it as we are those who do know God. And so our lives, what we do with our time, what we view with our eyes, and what we do with our hands, how we handle our time and our talent and our treasure, should Reflect the fact that we are the saved and beloved of God. Redeemed, paid for, purchased with the blood of our Savior. We can't mistake the things that the world says is love for real love. He uses a phrase here, to to take advantage, defraud. You see, the truth of the matter is, every person on this planet to whom you are not ever going to be married, or to whom you are not actually already married if you're married, if you're single, every person to whom you will not be married, and if you're married, every person to whom you are not married currently, that's your brother, that's your sister. It's somebody else's wife, somebody else's husband. And in essence, how many of you, when you see a nice car, the first thing you do is go, Car jacket. <laughs> How many of you, when you go into the bank, you look into the vault, they're rolling out a cart of money, you just go, I'll take some of that, thank you very much. How many of you, when you go into the grocery store, you go over and you see the nice ribeyes, you just grab a few and walk out? None of you do that. You know why? Because you think rightly about those subject matters. That is someone else's car, that is someone else's money, that is someone else's meat. And so you don't take it because it does not belong to you. This passage says to think on someone else with lust is to steal someone else's spouse. It's to steal a portion of that person. It is to take from someone else that which God has ordained for them and to say, my greed for this supersedes God's plan for my life and your need for your life. That's not of the Lord. It's taking advantage of someone. We have no right to do that. And unfortunately, in this case, sexual thieves think no wrong of it. And in fact, they explain it away. I've sat and listened to counseling appointments while I fell out of love with my husband. Or I fell out of love with my wife. Or, you know, I'm not sure I should have married them in the first place. 
Those are excuses for the passion of lust to drive you to do something that you should not do. Don't mistake what Satan's trying to do to you. He's trying to destroy your life. And so he puts that person there, and you look at them, and you go, well, you know. Can I give you an example? You know him. His name's King David. Tell me his life wasn't destroyed from the passion of lust. Here's what happened. I will dramatize it for you. He's on the roof of his house. It's a time that people go out to war. The, the armies of Israel have gone, and they're fighting. And he's supposed to be with them, but he's at leisure. He's got the lounge chair. He's sitting on the deck of his house, and there is the hot babe. And he looks over the balcony and says, wow, she's hot. At that point, he looked off the balcony. What he saw actually at that point was not sin because she was hot. But he should have said, that's Uriah the Hittite's wife. My sister in the Lord. And I have no business staring off of this roof at that woman. And he should have got back into his patio and then grabbed his armor and headed to the battlefront where he belonged. But instead, the passion of lust drove him to then think on her more. And then finally go to her and finally produce a child with her And then God had to step in and intervene in that situation. And so the question is, how do we avoid these things? If you're married and you're here, let me give you a few little tidbits to chew on. If you're married, you have zero business spending alone time with someone of the opposite sex. Zero. Now, does that sound a little legalistic to some of you? I'm sure it does. But I can tell you almost without exception, when I sit down with people and and we try and go through, well, how did we get to this place because I want to help you get past it, there almost always is a time when they felt the liberty because now they're going to discuss with that person those things that are the deficiencies of their spouse. And ultimately, now there's an attraction that's set up. Please don't do that. Go with another person. Go with several people. But if you want to put yourself in harm's way, go spend some alone time with someone of the opposite sex. Don't do it. Refuse to act on, even entertain thoughts that don't belong in your mind as a Christian. You must view other people to whom you are not married as someone else's spouse. You you can't do the David thing. David said, I don't really care. I want her. You have to view them correctly. Every kind of lustful influence that can come your way, you need to say, not here, not now, not no way. Not, well, it's just entertainment. If your mind is going someplace it shouldn't go, then perhaps you need to delete all your channels except for the National Geographic channel. And even that one's not safe anymore. Serious as a heart attack. I'm on the plane, I'm flying back, and I'm like, it's a five-hour flight, I'm kind of bored, I realized I didn't bring a book to read, and so I'm sitting there, 
And I'm talking to this guy about Jesus, whom, by the way, I talked to for like two hours. We finally ran out of things to solve the world's problems, found out he was a believer. So we, you know, we're kind of like, this is cool. I'm going to watch some TV. So they have a National Geographic thing on there. Every single animal species made it while I was watching this thing. It's like, I don't care what frogs do in the privacy of their own home. You've got to avoid that stuff. You need to make your spouse your top priority. If you're married and you're here, your spouse is your top priority. Read Ephesians 5 if you don't believe that. And husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and given himself for it. And wives, see that you respect your husband. You are supposed to be each other's primary responsibility. Make sure you undertake that with everything that's within you. And then on top of that, enjoy your spouse. Change your attitude about marriage. Your spouse should be your best friend, your constant companion. And yes, it is okay for you to think your wife is hot. Your husband is a hunk. You're supposed to actually think that. So that's where that belongs, okay? Date more. Look, guys, what did you do when you were dating your wives? Man, you went to the gym. You took care of yourself. You brought her flowers. Now you're like, honey, where's the Cheetos? (laughs) Get back to where she matters. Where he matters. Where you can't wait for them to get home. Have fun. Wrap this up. It it boils down to do you fear God? You fear God? Look at what happened in David's life as an example. You want to know the consequences of sexual sin? You need look no further than David. A moment's pleasure, a child is conceived. That child ultimately God takes home. God took that baby. David lived with that for the rest of his life. His life was a mess because of that looking over the balcony deal. Don't do it. That's the passion of lust. That's your mind going someplace that it should not go. And with everything in you, you need to say no. Children suffer, parents suffer, families suffer, you will suffer, financial ruin is headed your way, who knows what kind of sickness and disease could be at your doorstep, maybe there's going to be a child born and that child now is going to grow up in that environment that is less than healthy, don't do it. Trust God. Love your spouse and if you're not married, You cry out to God for Him to keep your singleness ever in His care. Because God has a perfect plan for your life. Don't forget that. I I listen constantly. Well, I just, you know, I I just want to be married. Then work towards being married. Don't work towards being available. Because you know what? You'll find somebody who finds you available. 
But if you want a man who loves you, if you want a woman who loves you, then be godly in Christ Jesus. Amen? Notice what it says. For God did not call us to uncleanness. You've been called by God to cleanness, to wholeness, to beauty, to a perfect plan that includes a wonderful place in life that is designed just for you. Rationalizing things other ways will not solve what goes on in your mind. And so please don't. Your calling is holy. Your election is sure. Uncleanness is like filling your mind with dirt and then somehow expecting that God's going to bless it. He won't. He can't. It's not even possible for Him to bless that. He can cleanse it, which He will, praise God. He can forgive it, which He will. He did in David's case. You're going to get to meet David in heaven. I have zeroed out of that. You're going to also get to meet that child that died because of David's sin. You see, we need to realize that we've been called by God as His children and we must conduct ourselves that way. And the Holy Spirit is able to keep us and shield us and bless us. And it really leads to what Paul closes with. And it's real love. If we have have real love, then these things will be in their proper position. If we have the world's view of love, you will never be satisfied. I'm sitting here talking with people as they're leaving after first service and just massive amounts of hundreds, probably thousands of hours spent talking with people about the problems that have come into their life. And nearly without exception in this area, if it could have been changed at the level of thought, they would have been spared from all of the heartache. If the corner could have been turned when it was simply here and repented of, because if we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. Amen? So God is able. And he wants to do that. We need the right kind of love. We need to be looking for that kind of love. That's why he says, I I don't have any need to write to you of that. Christ showed us what that looks like. He died on Calvary's cross. He didn't take what he wanted. He gave what we needed. Amen? He didn't come down and say, well, I need you guys to worship me. He said, the Son of Man has come to give his life a ransom, to make the payment for you. That's the right kind of love to have in view with regard to your sexuality. You are a gift to be given to one person in marriage. It is not for you to take, it is for you to give. And when you do, then you receive the blessing of that gift. But if you try and take what you want, you'll never be satisfied Ever. Countless people have I talked to. I did this, I did that, thinking that I could take what I wanted and pay no consequence for it, and it never worked out that way. And so he says, closing this passage, look, we we need to flee the sinful 
And we need to cling to the lovely heart of Jesus. We need to give ourselves fully in devotion to Him and let Him have our thought life and then aid Him by not giving Him stuff that He needs to cleanse, stuff that He needs to wipe clean. You should have a short list of things that God needs to forgive you of each day. It's what it means to be a believer. It means to be like Christ. That list should be short. It probably won't be zero, but it should be short. Make it a short list. And in doing so, you walk in that great grace. And I want to leave you with that great grace. Because His grace is greater than all of our sin. And it has the capacity to forgive and cleanse infinitely. But help God help you by putting yourself in the position to where that great grace is in view. Don't shield yourself from the grace of God by being disobedient to the things of this world. When you chase after the world, you're going to get what the world has to offer. Follow hard after God and let His grace be sufficient for you. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll pray together. Now, I admit, understand, know fully and completely, this is not an easy message to hear. It's not an easy message to deliver. But I believe it's so important for us to get this right that I fear God more than I fear the retribution of someone not liking what I said. So I'm okay with that. But I am absolutely positive that in a congregation of this size, this magnitude, that there are an awful lot of people that came in today and they're struggling with this very thing. And so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads and and please do that. And if you came in and you're kind of bearing some dirt and you want to get rid of it right now and start fresh, here's the good news. That's exactly what God wants for you. Amen? So I'm going to ask you. Look, I'm going to ask you. Just slip your hand up in the air. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray together. No eyes looking around. Just raise your hand. You want, you, you've been struggling. Your, your life's a, been a mess in this area. And you don't want to struggle any longer. You want victory over the sin of lust. Just put your hand up and let me see it. And we're just going to do it for a few seconds here. Please just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Just hands up all over the sanctuary. No one looking, please. I see all those hands scanning across the sanctuary. Our hands up in every section. Let's pray together. Father... Thank you for these brave hearts that recognize there's, a, there's an issue in their life. And Lord, they're thinking things that they shouldn't think. And maybe many of them are thinking things they don't even really want to think. And so, Holy Spirit, fall afresh upon them. Lord, thank you that if we confess, which they're doing right now, that you are faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. Lord, cleanse these that have raised their hands. Wash their minds by the power of the Spirit. Grant them victory over this area of lust in their life. Lord, help them to be pure and holy. And for the rest of us, God, we ask that you would do uh, for us what we ourselves sometimes have a tough time doing. We want to walk in holiness. Help us to be saints that are truly sanctified. Bless us to that endeavor. We thank you, God, for your grace, which is greater than all of our sin. And Lord, pray that we'd walk in victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen.